Well, either choke me or cut my throat. Make up your mind. English. I thought I dreamed hearing it. Where am I? You're it. You're in bed, holding a knife at your doctor's throat. Answer my question. It would be most effective if you would cut the carotid artery just under the left ear. Strange new takes. I'm your host, Notch Karnick, and with me, waking up from a 200 year sleep, is Adam Bowen. Welcome to Strange New Takes. Today, we're sort of plugging into the Star Trek.com villain showdown. This week's poll was between Q and Goldacart, but we don't feel like covering either of them again, so we went with Khan instead. He's going to be in the final round against whichever one of Q and Goldacart win. So we're recapping the only episode featuring Khan, Space Seed, the 24th episode of the first season of Star Trek, the original series. Follow us on social media. That's at Strange New Takes on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Tell your friends about the podcast and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That's how people can find us. And just know that we'll be spoiling Space Seed. Probably some stuff about Wrath of Khan for sure. And maybe some other stuff from Star Trek and other TV shows and series. So uh, if you're not, if you're averse to spoilers, stop listening now. All right. Well, as I mentioned before, Space Seed was the 24th season of, <laughs> 24th episode. Sorry, I distracted myself thinking of the, you know, the, the joke from that uh comedian mitch hedberg where it's like it was the 24th season episode of the first season but it also still is the 24th episode of the first season of star trek the original series <laughs> um space seed we are it first aired on 16th february 1967 that was approximately 29 years before i was born and it was remastered and aired on 18th november 2006 which is about 20 years after i was born so there it was written by, the teleplay was written by Gene L. Kuhn and Carrie Wilbur. The story was by Carrie Wilbur, and it was directed by Mark Daniels. The Indian universe date is 3141.9, which corresponds to 2267. All right, Adam, uh, we always start with our strange new takes. I see you've put my name ahead of yours in the strange new takes list, so I have to have a stranger, newer taker than you uh, to go. Let's hear it. All right. Well, my strange new take is that I just wonder how long it takes to finish all of Skyrim. I've started playing it on my Switch. <laughs> I've played Skyrim twice before. I've invested a lot of time. I haven't finished it either time. So this time I'm wondering, like, I really do want to finish it. Like most of the side, interesting side quests, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the expansions. I just wonder how long it takes. It's a huge fucking game. Uh, you know, so so that's what I'm thinking about in my strange new take. Uh, with is. this, with Space Seed, um, I guess I learned something about Indian culture. Uh, from from this <laughs> from this show, apparently I have to put my hands above my head in a prayer gesture, and I'm like, look, I look like I'm having an orgasm as I bring them down, and then I get super strength. Uh, I haven't tried it yet, but clearly, seeing as how I'm Indian, uh, that should work, right? Yeah, it, it it should. I I've tried it before. It didn't do anything for me, but that's probably what's missing. 
Yeah, you're not Indian, so clearly. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. For for my strange new take, uh, I am uh, just sort of in the middle of some indecision trying to figure out how we want to go about uh, getting a bigger uh, run and coop set up for our chickens. Our plan is to... Uh, see and maybe about uh, see see if we can expand the number of chickens that we have by adopting some more girls but uh we need to have more space first so should we diy should we have someone else build it should we uh get some pre-ordered stuff and then assemble it ourselves uh still kind of all up in the air there's there's advantages and disadvantages to everything so yeah just kind of clicking around opening a bazillion tabs and taking notes so that's fun uh for the episode um uh yeah so uh, <laughs> i just emily talks all the time about how uh women just are very poorly written in the original series and i thought i'd give a, a a shout out to emily uh uh yeah that was the case for very much with this one uh i think uh I mean, there's there's many that you could cho- choose and point out, uh, but the one that I'm going to point out is basically us telling Uhura, shut up, we can all tell it's Morse code. God. Ugh. <laughs> I mean, it's... Uh, yeah. Uh, Madeline Rue as, as Lieutenant Marla McCoy, was it? Or McDa- McGivers. Marla McGivers. Who just is like, the second she lays eyes on this uh superman of the past she's like oh yep i completely head over heels in love with him immediately all i needed to see although who wouldn't fall in love with ricardo montalban dressed in a net uh you know (laughs) really speaking i mean like we could forgive everybody for for that kind of sentiment but uh but lieutenant marla mcgivers is like yep this is the guy apparently she has some sort of kink for like authoritarian strongmen because like her apartment on the ship is like filled with like you know, drawings <laughs> of various, like, you know, authoritarians of the past. Well, it, especially, like, I, I like the, I, I think they said it was, like, Leif Erikson, but it's just, like, uh, drawn as if uh, he is, like, in uh, Warhammer 40k <laughs> type style of, like, the absolute largest pecs that you've ever seen. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, it was pretty hilarious. So funny story, just a, just a quick piece of context. Um, she, Madeline Drew has acted with Ricardo Montalban before in another movie. The other thing about her is that she had, um, I believe by the time that the Wrath of Khan was made, she was in a wheelchair due to multiple sclerosis. So they didn't, it, it was in respect to her that they didn't recast the character. Mm-hmm. And instead, that's why Khan says, my wife has died or died on Sedi Alpha uh, 4 or 5. I forget exactly what it was. but um, I think it's Sedi Alpha 5, which then Sedi- became Sedi Alpha 4. 4, right. Because, yep. yeah. Sedi Alpha Botany Bay. Botany Bay. I recognize. Anyway. And of course, Chekhov doesn't actually meet Khan in this episode because there's no Chekhov continuity error this is like one of the older more controversial continuity errors in all of star trek that chekhov recognized the botany bay but chekhov is nowhere to be seen in space seed and yeah i mean it's it's one of those things where like i i guess i get that that is a continuity error but i mean 
you don't just show up on the bridge of the Enterprise. Like it's or it's possible that he he's been Harry Kimming it up uh, and uh, doing the night shift uh, on the Enterprise uh, when we haven't been uh, watching the episodes. So maybe he did see him and it was just like pass him in the hallway on the way back from his shift. He uh, he was he was the one cleaning all the toilets on Star Trek. So we didn't see him because of that. But it was a moment when Khan went in, used the urinal, splashed everywhere, and Chekhov was like, hey, which ship do you come from where you pee all over the walls? And and Khan was like, on the botany bay, we have superior toilets that capture urine wherever it splashes. And that's how Chekhov knew the botany bay name and recognized Khan. There you how go. About there you go. How so, about uh, that? <laughs> Pavel Andreevich Chekhov, toilet cleaner. Um... Let me, I'm actually curious. I, know, I don't remember which episode he shows up in first. Cat's Paw. Cat's yeah, it's it's pretty late, isn't it? Second episode, first episode of the second season. Oh, okay. I thought he was maybe a third season character, uh, but yeah, interesting. Was, was interesting. Not. I had not looked that up. I always forget that um, the actor who played uh, Chekhov. Um, his name I'm not blanking. Walter Koenig was on Babylon 5. And I keep thinking he was on DS9 because of that. But he's not on DS9. He's on Babylon 5. The, the, what, what was maybe intended as discount Deep Space Nine, but was actually also very good. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. So anyway, well, we should jump in and talk about this episode. Uh, I want to give just a little bit of context on Ricardo Montalban, though, because clearly I, I should talk about one of my Indian brethren, um... <laughs> you know give him respect <laughs> like uh, um, anyway, ricardo ricardo Montalban was 47 when these films space seed by the way if you're wondering how old those magnificent pecs were uh he had become a star in in so he was he was born um in mexico city mexico he'd become a star in mexico in the 40s and then metro golden mayor had watched some of his films and basically brought him to to play the role of a bullfighter in the movie Fiesta in 1947. And that mm. kind of started his career in in America, which included a dance number with Frank Sinatra in the musical The Kissing Bandit. And it kind of went from there. He, later in his career, by the time the mid-50s rolled on, Ricardo Montalban was kind of just taking any role he could get, like B-movie, television, Broadway, whatever. he just do it all. So, so that this was kind of part of that for him. Like, it was part, probably kind of like Alec Guinness being in Star Wars, where he's like, what is this garbage? I will read it. And, you know, <laughs> like, these are, like, guys who had done, like, serious films coming in to do sci-fi, right? Like, and, and I don't know if he, like, how much... I mean, there's probably people who've, like, talked to him in conventions and know his <clears> true <throat> feelings towards Star Trek. But I'm guessing at the time when the script came to him, he was just like, well, no problem. I'll just do it. This seems kind of weird, but... No problem. Is there a paycheck? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, another little piece of his life that's, I think, really kind of charming about him is that he met uh, a, a lady named Georgiana Belzer. She was an actress. And they got married in 1944 and were married until she died in 2007. And then he died a year and eight months later. So uh, for, for the majority of their lives, they were together as a happily wow. married couple. Kind of kind of, kind of charming, right? Um, yeah. Is a very attractive picture of the two of them. They are both incredibly attractive in this photograph. It's like intimidatingly so. It's it's on under Carlo Montalban's um, Wikipedia profile in the personal. Does, life does he have his pecs out for this picture? Yes, he does. Yes, nice. he does. Yes, he does. Yep, 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 yep. So, all right. Well, 
Uh, also, by the way, he followed a strict diet and physical training regimen, giving him an enviable physique, per Wikipedia. After the release of The Wrath of Khan, director Nicholas Maros quick to quell any rumors of Montalban using prosthetics during filming. Yeah, I, I mean, if you watched the original uh, episode, you can see they look the same. Uh, he's it, it, And uh, the original series is not known for... Uh, seamless prosthetic use where you wouldn't be able to tell that something was going on. So uh, yeah. we we see plenty of of Montalban in this episode, and uh, yeah, I think I'm in, I'm inclined to believe it. And it's one of those um, one you, of those things. Like, some, yeah, you think at some point Gene Roddenberry was listen, man, you got it all going on in the chest area, but we're gonna give you a card piece because if you're like you know Superman, like you got to be a little back in a little heat down there, you know, a little extra some some. So here's this carrot in in foil or like a, a cucumber. <laughs> I mean, Gene Roddenberry like did think about this sort of thing. Like he wanted to give the Ferengi those giant card pieces and had to be like disabused of that notion. So I'm pretty sure the God, like Gene Kuhn wrote God. He was like, yeah, I like this, but bigger dick. How about that? Uh, I don't, have, I, have I expressed I just love being on the podcast with you? Yeah, we, we we do go off the rails, and we we immediately go into <laughs> <laughs> these kinds of uh, topics. Yeah, so I I have a ton of fun too. I okay. uh, the the thing that's interesting uh, I I noticed during during this episode is we have like so many costume changes that are happening uh, throughout. Like it, we I, I don't know if Gene Roddenberry was maybe like confused or or, or he couldn't decide which was the best look for Khan. Uh, but yeah, we we have that weird like mesh foil outfit, and then we put him into the uh, I, I think it's a USS Enterprise uh, sort of just jumper, and then we put him into something that seems to be just for the augments uh, that were aboard his ship, and then we put him into a Starfleet uniform, and then he gets this gold thing. So it's like every like ten minutes, this guy is in a completely different look. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we we pulled out all the stops here. It is, it, it definitely, you know, you, you do wonder what they were thinking when they, like, made clothes for him. It's like, like, Kirk was like, hmm, looks like this man's chest needs to be displayed for morale purposes on our ship. And, you know, gave him outfits that he could leave unbuttoned. Because, like, that gold outfit that he wears to dinner, it's, like, clearly showing a bit of uh, yeah. peck, I guess, uh, in there. Well, um, we should we should get into talking about like specifics in this episode. I always get reminded about, by the way, with the original series, how slow sometimes the pacing is. Like we don't get onto the Botany Bay for like the first like quarter of the episode. It takes quite a while for our ship to actually pull a stride, like for the people to beam on board and like actually start start getting the plot underway. You know? Yeah, like we even start uh, at the point of it's like for for the first part of the episode, they're like put it on view screen. Is there anything there? I can't tell. <laughs> they just have to like drive the ship closer to it in order for us to see it. Uh, the, the interesting thing with the pacing though, is like um, there is, there's a complete lack of subtlety in the music cues uh, because like, it seems like the script itself maybe hasn't decided that, or at least the way that the characters are acting, we haven't decided that Khan is evil until maybe a quarter of the way through the episode or maybe even later but uh the i think we immediately have that like balance of terror music uh that's playing 
before we can even see the botany botany bay and there's just a ton of like vi- tons of villainous music and like uh us looking at knives and whatnot uh uh just throughout this thing do you remember what the con music was in this i think i'm remembering like the the spock fighting spock music i don't think they did the amok the amok time music they it was they did... it wasn't it wasn't a mock time but it was something else it just that that's the music that stuck in my head so i can't remember but there was definitely like a sound key so i i, I think it's uh da, 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 which is i think balance yeah. of terror right okay uh, yeah it was yeah but it was there okay yeah so i i, I think that's what they use mostly I, I don't know about all of the other instances uh but that i think that was sort of as we're originally pulling up onto the botany bay uh that's the music we were playing uh and definitely lots of like villainous cues as we're just like watching this poor guy uh get try to get resuscitated uh like uh yeah i mean I, he is like the an evil dictator overlord type person so i i suppose it's warranted but uh the the composer had had knew who he was all along yeah 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 absolutely I just love that when they when they get on board the ship. I mean, this is classic TOS, right? Like half naked people in like nets in all these little bays, and it's just hilarious. <laughs> like I start, I burst out laughing when I saw that because it's it's honestly this is where that that like you know the Wesley episode where he's in the garden and he tramples yes. those plants yes. and like gets put to death. Same outfits, like that same out under the nets they're wearing looks what looks like kind of that same outfit. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, like it leaves as little to the imagination as possible. Uh, I mean, also, I, I guess we, we need to push the boundaries in all sorts of different ways with Star Trek, so we might as well push it with uh, men's fashion. <laughs> well, but but that's the problem, right? Like, when when, when dude turns up um, on the ship to, like, take his people back, when Khan shows up to, like... All the men have changed into those red outfits. All the women are yeah. still in the nets. And we never see the women again, by the way. I'm pretty sure it's all just the dudes then who are, like, you know, taking over the ship and then interrogating Kirk and stuff. Yeah, because I, I I do remember uh, there was that scene where um, yeah he was talking to all of them about what they needed to do, and there was a woman for sure there. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there were any others. It, it, if there were, they it, it was it was sort of like a uh, maybe there's one in the room or something like that. That's uh, the camera doesn't spend too much time on. But yeah, I think you might be right there. Yeah, yeah, it's uh. It's a little bit odd, but anyway, it was just this, this, this. Definitely, they were like exotic people from the past, wearing exotic outfits, and and, and yeah. at least they thought about like Marla McGivers and what she had to like. They gave her some motivation to be completely starstruck. She was like, "Ooh, look at the superhuman package on this guy. Clearly, there's no <laughs> c- cucumbers that have been stuffed into his pants. I'm clearly <laughs> in love, Captain. You must save him." <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, in the 24th century, people don't care about those things. So uh, they're 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 she is unaware of the techniques of putting cucumbers into your pants and things like that. <laughs> that that was secret 90s uh, technology. Right. So in the 22nd century, everybody has a uniform package size. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> why 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 do we start talking about these things? <laughs> You think that was in the Federation Charter, like, and everyone has the right to have as big a package as they want. 
Like, I mean, I, I, this is one of the things that I noticed like the most of uh, most uh, of especially like 90s Star Trek, all of the extras or like the guest stars, they have these like uh, single piece uniforms and it is it is mostly there to emphasize the guy's junk. Uh, it's yeah. almost universal. Yeah, it's. I mean, in a society where everyone has a uniform packet size, nobody cares, right? So you could be sticking out, and it's nothing to notice. It looks. Everyone's looks all the same, right? So there we go. Yeah, there we go. All right, good. Glad we established that. Good job. Yeah. Should add that to memory alpha. Um. Okay. <laughs> Moving on swiftly along. Uh. So Khan makes it onto the ship because Marla McGivers. Inc- she's like so and like implores the captain to like save him. Which also we should talk about how they're like, oh, that dumb historian. We could finally give her something to do. Jeez, <laughs> why, why is she even here? Yeah, it it, it, there, it is a weird setup. I mean, I fully get why she wants to leave Starfleet because her captain can't keep her name straight, uh, and no one thinks that her job is worth anything. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I suppose with the original series, like we have the ability to go to the past whenever we want. So maybe the historians are pointless because like I don't I don't give a shit about uh someone writing about uh Napoleon using like first documents like let's just take the enterprise go back and meet the guy and ask him some sweat, some questions and then go back. Oh yeah yeah and it's I mean we should take a moment here to talk again about how just shallow her character is written as and it's just like she exists for no other reason just to help Khan take over the ship because of her weakness for him. Like, yeah. Like and, and I guess, yeah, it, it's, it, and it's weird because like as a uh, theoretically useless uh, uh, crewmate, like somehow she's the one that is able to make this all happen. Cause I, I mean, certainly he's, he's able to understand technical manuals and whatnot. Uh, but I don't know that we really see him, using that knowledge to be the thing that helps him take over the ship it's presumably she is somehow getting him access codes i guess he just like rips the door open so maybe it's just by force that they all do it but um yeah it it is weird that uh sort of she's the weakness that has to be exploited in order to sort of turn everything over to Khan. yeah yeah she's She's not given uh, a lot to kind of a lot of complexity in her character at all. And it's it's pretty sad, actually, to watch because Madeline Rue does seem like kind of a talented actress. I think what she's asked to do, she conveys with um, kind of as much conviction as she she can, given mm-hmm. the circumstances. So so um, that being said, when we when we get back to the ship, basically, Khan is like. There's a bunch of things, by the way, in this episode that never show up again. One of those things is the array of sharp medical objects that are inexplicably on the wall of the sick bay. <laughs> and, and, you know, when Khan wakes up, he's like, clearly I should start stabbing people and grabs one of the stabby things. I freaking love Leonard McCoy in that scene, though. Oh, yeah, that's that's a that that is definitely like one of the the classic uh, uh, Bones moments or or whatnot, where it's instead of begging for his life or anything like that, he's just uh, telling him how better to kill him uh, so that he doesn't have to keep having this conversation. <laughs> right. Uh, so right. That, that, that was absolutely brilliant there. I, I'm trying to think. Uh, so in Strange New Worlds, 
we have mentioned uh i is it is it in benga that's supposed to have an interest in uh archaeological medicine yes correct okay so like maybe these are Mbenga's tools that are like still hanging around the enterprise oh, or something no, no, like that. No, no, no. The archaeological medicine is um is uh, uh oh man the the nurse um chapel. nurse chapel okay yeah so maybe, maybe that's their attempt to like reference this uh because she's sure. she's still a character here uh I don't think it's in this episode but maybe that's it's a uh, weird weird daggers and whatnot <laughs> let's go with it right let's, let's yeah. just I'll, I'll use that as a kind of explanation but they're, ne- they're never seen again in any other episode uh i you know after he holds a knife to bones's neck at that point i would have probably posted a security detail but the the crew seemed to be fairly trusting oh yeah and, and he invites the captain to come see the guy who just threatened to kill him without like yeah i i mean maybe Maybe Bones, like, was afraid for his life, but it, it seems like... It, it's pretty clear, like, towards the end of the episode, literally everyone is is fully prepared to just, like, die in a gas chamber uh, in order to, like, uphold Starfleet principles and whatnot. So, yeah, it... it, it de- definitely we're, we're <laughs> playing fast and loose with the, with the logic here in a few places. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, like they're not able i mean it's kind of odd that they can eventually find out who he is but they can't like find any reference to the man like before it seems like there are 40 tyrants and so you could just look up their pictures at some point right like i guess the records are kind of scattered but yeah it it was interesting and something that i thought was uh was curious is um i mean we, we spent so much time talking about how he he's sikh or clearly he is sikh uh, but the only time that we ever see uh, uh, him wearing anything that might be like judged as being close to Seek would be the um, uh, the painting that MacGyver's uh, ends up having of him, which is just sort of like a it's an it's an interesting piece because it it sort of shows his uh, uh, we we just see his his face and the and the turban and then it's sort of like flames are around him or something like that. So it's it's an it's really uh, it's a cool looking painting, but um, but yeah, I, I I don't I I, I guess it makes sense that we would lose a lot of information in a World War Three uh, in any sort of like uh, nuclear annihilation type thing. So maybe that's the uh, the idea is like there's not even pictures of these people, but I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's it's just kind of. Um... It's kind of strange how how much liberal how liberal they are with this like dude who's from a strange ship um while they have no idea who he is and then even after they find out who he is they don't really they don't really like do much other than post a guard yeah it's i mean we touch on it a little bit at, like at the very end uh i'm trying to remember the like the crimes that he was absolved of by uh by kirk uh and so in, instead of like putting him into prison we decided to like send him to the planet uh as sort of punishment but uh it's it, it is definitely like a weird legal legal area to we hey we found someone who probably killed a whole bunch of people uh although i guess we we did say that he that he didn't kill people in his rule um so maybe Khan like is the uh, uh, theoret- theoretically the least bloodthirsty of all of these forty tyrants. I don't know. 
Yeah, but yeah, he, he they said that he didn't have the massacres that others uh, other tyrants perpetrated. Yeah. So, all right, let's take a break here. We'll come back and we'll start talking a little bit more about what we hear from the senior staff about Khan. The last of the tyrants to be overthrown. I must confess, gentlemen, I've always held a sneaking admiration for this one. He was the best of the tyrants and the most dangerous. They were Superman in a sense. Stronger, braver, certainly more ambitious, more daring. Gentlemen, this romanticism about a ruthless dictator is... It's spark. We humans have a streak of barbarism in us. Appalling, but there, nevertheless. There were no massacres under his rule. And as little freedom. No wars until he was attacked. Gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Spark, you misunderstand us. We can be against him and admire him all at the same time. Welcome back to Strange New Takes, where I was reminded about how this might have been the first instance of the uh, 90s and early 2000s teen movie shtick of, uh, you know, you get you get a, a nerdy lady and you let her hair down and suddenly she's smoking hot. <laughs> has a whole new personality. Khan's like, let me, let me touch your hair. And then he like takes it down and, you know. Takes off her glasses and. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's, she no longer paints anymore. Now she's a super smoking hot lady who hangs with the cheerleaders. Um, yeah, it, it's. <laughs> I just, I was, there were several scenes in this where it just burst out laughing, man. I think with the. <laughs> it's t- hard not to. <laughs> Yeah, with TOS these days, you just have to, I think, do that. Like, I think I think you just have to take it for what it is. And I think if you enjoy the kish for being kishy, okay, all right. I think that that's, that's, that's what I have to do to get through it personally. Yeah, because it, it, it's like reading these things as they would actually be perceived now, it's it's very bizarre to try to imagine these characters. I mean, she did, I guess to, to her credit, she did kind of play that scene with some a lot of discomfort and some disgust going on. Uh, but... It it's sort of like uh, the actress was aware of those feelings, but the writers were not uh, because it's so it's sort of she's she's playing it maybe how someone would actually react of like being extremely uncomfortable and like understanding that this guy uh, seems to be like quite violent and uh, things could go very poorly for her if she doesn't kind of uh, uh, play things correctly there. Uh but yeah, the the writing keeps putting her uh, in harm's way, and it like sort of is enamored with this guy who's who's causing all these problems. Yeah, um, it's like that creepy scene where he's like, "Stay if you want to stay, or go." Like you know, it's just like, <laughs> "Whoa, buddy!" Uh, kinda... Is that 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 uh, and and it, I, I can't. What were the descriptions they used of like uh, men back then? Uh, I think those like ah yeah I I I've I've lost it but it, there was the, sort of that pep talk of like you understand like men back then were very different from men are now <laughs> who and says we, that I I forget who says that I, I Kirk Kirk gives her sort of a I think it's Kirk just because uh, he he sees that uh, MacGyver is is uh, enamored with uh Khan and was right. even like when he was just like asleep in the botany bay um and sort of like gives her a, a pep talk to understand that like men back then were very different but uh uh yeah 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 i mean it's just 
Um, yeah, Khan uh, comes. He's a very creepy man. Uh, let's just let's just put it that way. Um, and I, I did not appreciate that scene with McGivers at all. Um, nope. But uh, later, we we see you know Spock and uh, Scotty and McCoy and Kirk talking about he's and, and the funny thing is now that they know who he is, there's like a picture of him from back in the day from on uh, on the wall there from 1992 through 1996. He absolute ruler of more than a quarter of your world. Spock and Scotty's like yeah you know actually I've always had a, a what, what do you say like sneaking admiration for this one <laughs> I'm like and you didn't recognize him yeah yeah I, I, actually that does ring a bell now because you uh we were wondering if they could just look up pictures and yeah they do literally have a picture of him in that part of the episode um, and, and let's 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 talk a little bit about this for, which is that a lot of human beings throughout human history have really wanted someone who could come in instantly and fix problems. Mm-hmm. The benevolent dictator has been kind of a human um, political fetish, I think is the best word, for the longest time. Yeah. Everybody just wants to elect the the guy who's going to come in and just snap his fingers, make everything happen. You know, The problem is that when you give absolute power, like, first of all, the problem is that it, that is absolute power in a democracy with any sort of government. Um, you're never going to move things as fast as when someone can snap their fingers and make it okay. And there's always going to be mm-hmm. somebody whose problems are, are not instantly fixed. So, yeah. so when you have someone saying, Hey, I want, I want someone who can, I, I like this politician because they, it seems like they can fix my problems immediately. They're probably going to fix your problems immediately, but maybe not someone else's and maybe not the problems that you have later. Uh, and that's what ha- that's the problem with absolute power is that there's no controls on people. And even even if you are so lucky that you get a, um, a an absolute ruler who is more or less benevolent or whatever, there are some in history. Like a good example is some of the the people who grew up under Joseph Boris Tito in in the former Yugoslavia uh, feel that he was great and you know he he did a good job and whatever. Mm-hmm. Even folks like that, you cannot assure people that the person who takes over power from them is going to be as benevolent as they are. That's the problem yeah. with with absolute power, people who can fix the problem right away. Is you never know what happens after that problem has been fixed, what else they're going to do, and what else the people who they give power to are going to do. But I think it is... well as. I, I don't doubt that Scotty did have a sneaking admiration for this man. I think I think there are a lot of people who look to authoritarians and kind of like, wow, like, I mean, man, the guy really, you know, he, he you know, like, it's like the Russians who say when under Stalin, I could, I, the trains ran on time or whatever, you know, it's <laughs> just, this is dark side of human, human psyche, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's interesting, because uh, sort of if you, if you just watch uh, if you just are more familiar with Khan from like uh, the Wrath of Khan or even like Star Trek Into Darkness or whatnot, you might think that uh, like when he was a tyrant, that he's uh, I think the assumption is more is that he's more uh, towards the the um, uh, like universally reviled tyrants uh or what that we have in history like you, you might think that he's like hitler or something like that uh but it does seem from how people are talking about him in this episode that uh yeah khan might have 
he might be held up as an example of like maybe that was uh, a an example of a good benevolent dictator, uh, even though he was part of this like forty tyrants that uh, sort of carved up the planet. Um, which uh, it is interesting, uh, sort of even keeping in the context of like uh, that people in the twenty third century are still still have this idea kicking around in their head of the um, uh, uh, having someone that like a strong man who could just like snap his fingers and fix the problems, uh, being compelling. Yeah. So, so there's this, this, this speech where they establish who Khan is and all the guys are like, yeah, yeah. What a guy, this Khan. I mean, I wish we could be him, you know, like be wonderful to have control a quarter of the planet. Oh, and all, I mean, he was a brutal dictator, but he didn't like have like big massacres. Like, <laughs> just, just, yeah right like yeah you know it's the ordinary like everyday small killings no no big massacres so like on the whole you know and uh, and we've already already talked about how uh we lost most of the records from the 90s so it's quite possible that uh we've just conveniently forgotten which of uh the big massacres were attributable to him right yeah so so it's kind of you know an interesting little scene let's put it that way in the end mm-hmm. where they're talking about Khan. We move on then to basically the second part of this episode where, or maybe you can say the third part, if you think the first part is them finding the ship, the second part is getting introduced to Khan, the third part is Khan taking over the ship, which is he he sneaks off to his vessel, he, you know, re- reminds all of his crew how to do that weird prayer gesture <laughs> orgasm thing. <laughs> And gets them all into outfits. Oh, sorry. Gets the men into nice outfits. Yes. Leaves the women in the netting for some reason. And then beams over the Enterprise and takes over. Where where I I don't think we have a slow takeover sequence anymore in Star Trek. It's not like... It's like either the ship is taken over or it's not. It's not like Kirk is slowly suffocating on the bridge, leaving commendations in his final log. (laughs) Uh... Uh, yeah. The pacing here is just different, man. Yeah, it, it absolutely is, and it, it it also like it's it's interesting because I I, th- I think it does show pretty well. Um, it's a it, it's a good way of illustrating that Khan is sort of thinking several steps ahead of everybody else uh, because he sort of understands like, no, I have all the power here. You have to give up. Like there's, it's pointless for you to kind of like wait for your air to go out. So I'm willing to like start the negotiations now. Uh, but instead, uh, Kirk is sort of like, no, I have to hold out. And Kirk doesn't actually have any plans, I guess. He's just planning on everyone suffocating and dying. And then he'll take over the ship after that. And like our noble sacrifice, at least, uh-huh. uh, gets everyone commendations. But um, it's... It, it it is interesting, sort of trying to pit the the two intellects of uh, of Kirk and uh, um, uh, Khan together in this episode, and I I think it's I don't know it it does end up feeling a bit more satisfying than the resolution to Wrath of Khan, which for me has always felt a little bit dumb. Of like, oh, because he's used to like sailing ships or something like that. He doesn't realize that there's three dimensions. And so the enterprise can like go over the reliant and that's for some reason how they win. I, I mean, I, I've never thought of Wrath of Khan that deeply. So I find uh, the, the, I think, I think for me in Wrath of Khan, the action is always like 
uh back backdrop for the the mental games mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so so I, I i don't know i that's never quite bothered me but i mean i can see your point here it is um there is at least you know what what lets khan down in the end first of all the superior intellect is not good enough to convince people to disobey their duty so the starfleet officers all stick to their duty yeah and stick stick to their their guns for lack of a better word um and then so much so that marla mcgivers is even you know she she betrays khan to save kirk and save her crewmates so she kind of mm-hmm. comes good in the end um ish yeah but it still realizes that uh everyone treats her like shit in Star- in starfleet so she might as well go live with them in the new australia uh uh, on that planet yeah 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 she so so let, let's talk first, first of all anything to talk about the kirk in the hyperbaric chamber scene where you know yeah uh it, it's i i think it's it, it's a it's a good illustration of just showing like the dedication of everyone uh in the bridge crew uh that they're they're will fully willing to let their captain die uh in order to uh, sort of like f- further the Starfleet mission of like not letting the ship uh, go fall into somebody else's hands, mm-hmm. and um, so th- that's interesting. Uh, as far as the uh, the way that they do it, I'm pretty sure that Kirk would have been dead uh, within seconds. I I don't I don't think you can live very long with I I'm not uh, f- quite familiar with like how uh, how much atmosphere he had. I feel like that was uh measurements in uh those might have been in bars or something like that and it had a number 10 which i think would have been like 10 percent or maybe one percent of the atmosphere mm-hmm. which i think i think you'd be dead pretty quick uh it would be a, a matter of seconds before you start having severe problems uh and uh he seems to go on for a few minutes uh in this environment but uh right and, 60, and, and... so when you when you've been used to a certain pressure for a long time, you can't just like go quickly to like normal pressure right away. Like the McGivers just like hits a button and it quickly returns to normal. You have to like slowly be brought back to normal pressure. This is how divers, you know, they slowly descend and they slowly come back up, or they yeah. have to like be in a hyperbaric chamber for a while. Um, some of the people who work on the ocean's floor they transfer to a hyperbaric chamber that that has that pressure and then over like. I think it might be days. I'm not 100 percent sure. They like slowly. Yeah, it's it's quite a long time. I, yeah. I, I I mean, like it is the 23rd century. Maybe uh, MacGyver's also had a hypo spray for that and just like uh, gave him an injection and that that solved his problem. But uh, perhaps, yeah. The, I think he would have been dead inside the chamber by himself <laughs> even long before that. So okay, we we so then Khan loses. Kirk takes over the ship, and then. First of all, finally, someone using gas to take back their ship rather than... Um, uh, oh, and we can't forget the fight, because then Kirk, basically Khan, is able to avoid the gas and run into engineering and sets up the warp drive to explode, basically, or overload. Yeah. And then Kirk, or I should say Kirk's stuntman and Khan's stuntman <laughs> fight. This show was not meant to be seen uh, in HD. It is, uh, it is extremely obvious. Like very different hairlines, uh, just like fully super different looking dudes, and you see like the, their full faces. It's not uh, like I mean, it, we use plenty of stunt uh, stunt people in Star Trek now, 
uh, and uh, it's like when you see sort of the behind the scenes pictures of uh, uh, you see Pike and the stuntman Pike, it's uh, it's it is of course very obvious like which one is uh, is Anson Mount and which one isn't. Uh, but usually we try to like avoid showing faces or we're showing super distant shots or it's too fast moving. Yeah. Uh, but the, the fight scene, it, it's uh, even just on my uh, fairly, I I have like a 32 inch television. Like it was, it was pretty visible to me. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. It was just like, again, another moment I just burst out laughing when they were like cutting back and forth between um, Khan and Kirk and the, uh, uh, stunt people and it's like you know the stunt man's hair gets knocked out so then Khan in the next shot Ricardo Montalban has his hair knocked out a little bit and it's just <laughs> it's just it's it's just amusing but anyway so this happens um we have we have uh Khan gonna get arrested and then Kirk decides I'm not gonna press it like there's gonna be no charges we're not we're not hauling you in we're just gonna drop you on a um planet that's that's going to have a harsh life like i don't know if that's legal (laughs) (laughs) he's given absolute authority we've agreed uh so uh yeah i don't it it also so like even beyond being legal i don't know if that's a good idea (laughs) uh because we've we've sort of established that this is like a race of supermen who believe they have uh they're like the inheritors of humanity and if we give him just like a hundred years as Spock like uh uh is postulating at the end, like I feel like very bad things are uh coming for the Federation unless uh SETI Alpha three is uh conveniently destroyed and turning it into a hellscape so they don't like invent their own warp drive and all that stuff. Also, I'm I'm surprised Khan isn't like a little bit put out about Marlock McGivers like betraying his plan to take over the ship, and he's like, "Oh yeah, all's forgiven. Let's go." Actually, I've been in love with you the whole time. She's a superior woman. Yeah, apparently, um, which just means having a kink for like dictators. <laughs> That's the only gene they changed in the eugenics wars. It's, <laughs> man, it's just strange. It's just very strange, and this whole episode has like kind of questionable pop psychology aspect where it's just like you make someone really powerful their ambition gets kind of out of control and this is not me saying that you know eugenics is okay and we should go with it but it's kind of like that's the justification given for why why you can't like have eugenics and like um because because it forces people into into having too much ambition and basically yeah superior ability breeds superior ambition or something like that right and then you have to duke it out with others which it, it I, I I guess like from a perspective of just like more the context of how I see a lot of these original series episodes is kind of like uh they're like science fiction short stories which at, at mm-hmm. the time like it's like Arthur C Clarke and uh and the like are um the ones that I think of like the most where you have sort of like the interesting twist at the end or like just sort of the thought puzzle that you have and you're sort of left thinking, which we, we definitely get that, but, um, uh, the, yeah, the, the, it's, it doesn't quite have as much substance, uh, in this episode as some of the other ones do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think, I think that's all we have to say about the episode itself. Let's talk for a moment about Khan in this versus wrath of Khan. Cause I had never seen this episode 
Wrath of Khan is one of my favorite Star Trek movies. Mm. So I'm curious what how you compare the Khan in this to the Khan in the next episode. So I don't know. I I I, I know that everyone is obsessed with uh, Wrath of Khan. I I it's it's never really. Uh, I mean, I I love the scenes with the scene with uh, uh, Spock and Kirk at the end. Uh, like I, that that's like one of my favorite absolute scenes of Star Trek uh, of all mm-hmm. time. But uh, Khan himself. I feel like I understand him better in Space Seed than I do in the movie. Uh, hmm. Because it, like in the movie, uh, it seems like we're, we're sort of sticking it all on that Khan is like essentially a misunderstanding. Like he thinks that, that Kirk was playing some like uh, nine dimensional chess or something when he put him on this planet because he knew that it would turn into a hellscape and then like ruin everything. Right. Uh, and just like leave him to be abandoned when it's it's like in this episode i i think that kirk is trying to say like maybe they should be able to have like a fresh start and like just try out things for themselves and like create their own civilization and like st- let's just see how that goes mm-hmm. and um but it, i i guess it's like we start out with a with khan here he's been thrown into the future uh he sees a lot of opportunity uh technology has advanced but he doesn't think that humans themselves have advanced so he sort of sees himself back in this place of like i need to uh kind of seize power to be able to guide like my children uh into a better future and stuff like that and and, and it's just like i get that motivation better than like i'm i hate this kirk dude so much that i'm gonna like uh go all moby dick on him um i mean I, yeah. I i don't know like when you have years of suffering and and you have no way out when you're just stuck somewhere for years yeah i i could see how you could um how you could basically have the, this guy kind of stewing on hatred like blaming just a single person uh you know like mm-hmm. I, I could I could see how that hated Wrath of Khan could would develop. Um I gotta say, I mean I like Wrath of Khan a little bit better just because it's it is I mean it, it's it's good because it's Moby Dick, right? Like it's a classic story of yeah, revenge. Yeah, yeah. And that is um the other thing I'll say is that th- this Khan isn't like coding Shakespeare as much. So he's not quite No, he's not. He's not quite the like um cinematic villain that that is in the Wrath of Khan. He's much more like just a normal Star Trek, you know, like if, if we had never got Wrath of Khan, he'd just be like just another villain that's in Star Trek. Like he's nothing special. Yeah. I, I don't know that we would still be talking about him if they hadn't gotten his own movie. Um, right. Yeah. He's just, I mean, this, I, I didn't really see anything that like really stuck out to me about this episode compared to the others, other than maybe the ending where he's dropped off on a planet like that, that opens up the door to like something cool happening with him. But there's nothing like particularly kind of. Yeah. Like I, I could have seen like if he hadn't been picked up in a movie, like this would have been a perfect follow up in next generation. Uh, we, we see what happened to this planet that was, uh, full of augments and whatnot. Um, which would have been interesting, but, uh, uh, yeah, I, I agree that it's more of a, it's, it's like a hook for something else cool, uh, rather than, um, 
sort of a, a fully standout episode on its own. All right. So um, I'll ask you the controversial question here before we go to ratings, which is now we don't know if Q is going to win, if Guldakat's going to win against Khan, but who do you pick in those two votes against Khan? Okay, so I, I'm going to do both possible ones. Uh, I... Th- I think for it for I'll I'll do Ducat first. I uh, I think there's actually a lot in common uh, because like both of them had that sort of uh, uh, supreme overlord kind of uh, position, uh, at least like over whatever uh, part of their um, area of responsibility was or whatnot. Uh, and I think they have a similar feeling towards the people below them where they they're sort of that uh they they can't think for themselves they need to be guided i like i alone have the ability to sort of like do this kind of thing for them Mm -hmm. but there's i don't know i i I think i've it's 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 hard exactly to to weigh things this way because i think ducat also benefits from uh, just having a lot better writing because it he's not he, he's he's given several episodes to mature and have a lot of nuance added to him versus just sort of like a one-up episode in the 60s and then a movie in the 80s yeah. uh, and that's kind of it uh, but for me I uh, Goldicott feels like he has a little bit more depth I understand him a little bit better but it's uh, so I, I think I would have to vote for him, but it's possible that it could just be that they're very similar characters and one of them got developed more than the other. Um, for Q versus Khan, I don't know. Uh, Q hasn't always been my favorite uh a uh, villain i i it's sort of like i really like a lot of the episodes or some of the episodes that q is in but uh i i in, in terms of like the the straight up villainy i i actually might go with khan over uh over q if that were the uh the the vote here uh, but th- th- that might be just because it, as emily and i have talked about on this on this show like i not 100% sure that q is a villain besides like i know that he's given their antagonist role and i don't know if i'd agree that like just because you're the antagonist that means you're the villain i don't know mm-hmm. i heard you guys have that argument on the q episode so i'm not going to rehash that i think for me khan would come out on top with both of them just because there's something iconic and magnetic about khan in the wrath of khan like there's just mm-hmm. something special about the way that movie is made and the way he kind of sp- fights Kirk there's just mm-hmm. and I, I'm trying not to hold the fact that, that that he has only two instances of being on Star Trek against him I think he's a compelling villain in, in just how he's able to kind of um, make the most of his screen time Ricardo Montalban's performance in that movie is, is fantastic so I think there's just there's a reason he's kind of the iconic Star Trek villain and I have to I have to kind of go with that it's a little bit intangible and I think all of your points are well taken and I think you intelligent people can have both ideas right so so how, uh, does it change your vote at all if we include Benedict Cumberbatch uh, in con also Oh no, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> that's 
just that's I, I can't vote for that card on principle. The fact that they are Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> playing Indian person, my God, man, uh, it's like. Yeah, seriously, that's just obnoxious that that ha- even happened. Anyway, well, let's move on to strange new ratings. Adam, do you want to stick your neck out and give this episode a rating? Um, let's see. It's I I think I'll I'll give this one. Um, this is me probably putting on like original series glasses or whatever. I I because I, I honestly don't know how to rate this episode in any, any mm-hmm. other way. Uh, so I, I think I would give this one a seven. I think it's one of the more watchable episodes of the original series, but like a lot of episodes in the original series, like the plot kind of doesn't make sense in a lot of different, different areas. Yeah. Uh, horrible writing for a lot of the individual characters. I will say one thing we, we didn't really talk about. I think that there were some incredible... Well, and we talked about it for... Um, uh, for the actress for Mac- MacGyver's, but uh, I think there's actually some decent acting in this uh, this episode. Like, f- for instance, uh, I-, I know that people and I am I am not uh, separated from people at all in this instance. Uh, make fun of uh, uh, William Shatner's portrayal of uh, Kirk a whole lot uh, mm-hmm. with sort of like the stilted dialogue and delivery uh, a lot of times. But I I I really got and I was there with with some of the like cold calculating looks that both uh, Montalban and, and Shatner were giving each other throughout this episode. I thought they sold that really well. So it, it's, uh, if you want some like uh, classic uh, uh, like scowls from Shatner uh, sort mm-hmm. of at the villain, like this is an incredible episode for that. I think I generally agree with you there. It's just, just that it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, if we really gave like proper ratings to the original series, I think we just end up putting all of them like at a five or below. <laughs> just because <laughs> how, just how dated it's all become. Yeah. But I think, I think controlling for some of that, um, I'll give this one a seven out of ten. I think the biggest issues it has beyond everything you said is the things that we talked about with the women in the episode. It's just worthless on that yeah. front. So, and we really need to, you know, recognize that every time we see it in the original series. It's such a common occurrence, unfortunately, like you were saying. Yep. Well, with that, let's move on to our end credits. Um, let's talk about Space Seed. I saw this thing, especially when those guys were giving like the prayer, weird orgasm prayer gesture. It was so freaking funny. I was like, I have to get a comment talk about this. So I'm really <laughs> glad we could make the time to do that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm uh, like you said, Notch, there's something special about us doing <laughs> these these duo episodes. Uh, so I loved having the chance to to talk about this one with you and, and get into it. And uh, thanks, uh, Emily, Bill uh, and Rudy for being our other usual co-hosts. You're not here today, but hopefully we get to podcast again soon. Uh, thank you to your listener for making us part of your week uh, and, and your podcast rotation. Really appreciate you giving us that time. Um, thank you just to Guha for recording our theme music. It's always great to hear you strumming away at the Klingon theme. And special thanks this week to the person who designed the net outfits uh, for Stasis. If it wasn't for that person, we wouldn't have this episode where Marla McGivers wouldn't have fallen hopelessly in love with the dude in the net. So so really, we all we all owe the person who designed the net outfit a debt of gratitude. There was no codpiece for the uh, the Enterprise jumper that he, had, he wore later. No, there was no codpiece. All right. Uh, we'll see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.